The bulletin is printed non-traditionally, but in traditional fashion, we will have the scripture before the sermon. And our passage this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52, using the New International Version. Um, So that is our passage. 833, if you follow along in traditional fashion, using the Pew Bibles. Let us hear the word of God, Luke 2, beginning the reading at verse 40. And the child, that is Jesus, grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, When he was 12 years old, they went up for the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, a large company of travelers, They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, meet us here in this place. May we hear from you. May you speak to us with the words that we need to hear. And may you give us the grace and peace we need for this day. Be with us if we feel close and whole. And be with us if we feel far and fragmented. God, draw us close to you. And may you give us a word of grace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So the question that I have that's continued to plague me throughout this day is what does it mean to grow up? Um, I can't do that without thinking of the Toys R Us jingle that I heard all the time as a kid. If I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. Because someone else, uh, I, I saw one hand in the back, so someone else at least remembers that a bit. So that's, that's good. Um, but the scripture today, I think, is interesting. I think, it's, I think it's interesting in a lot of ways. It's familiar to many of us. We have heard it. We've uh, heard it read. If you grew up in church and you grew up around church, and at the same time, personally, I've always found it a little perplexing. Uh, it's not the most clear cut. When you stand and give sermons every once in a while, sometimes it feels as if they almost write themselves, and you go, ah, here it is, and it just kind of all flows out. And some you look at, and you scratch your head, and you go, what do you do with this? Um, and this for me has actually been more of the latter. It's been a process of digging in and trying to figure out what does this say and what does this mean and what does this mean for us and where we find ourselves today. And I think we've, I've landed on something that God's placed on my heart and I hope it's meaningful for you as well. Um, but it's an, it's an interesting text. So in order to understand what is going on, we need to dig into some context and it, it's interesting in part because it's one of the few places in which we see uh, Jesus when he is not fully formed and fully fleshed out. We don't see the adult Jesus. We don't see Christ. We don't see all of those things that we talk about later. We see Jesus also not on the other side of shortly after incarnation when he is uh, a, a baby and hope and light. We see Jesus in the middle years, right? We see Jesus in he is 12, he is at the end of childhood and the beginning of what it means to be a teenager. And it's just, it's a fun and interesting stage and I just think it's fascinating to look at. Um, So let's, in order to understand what this text is saying, we need to understand this Jesus a little bit more. And in order to do that, we really need to understand his family and to what they're doing in Jerusalem because that sets up what's going on in the midst of all of this. And we need to understand his family because at this stage, Jesus is 12. Right? So he is about a sixth grader. He is a sixth grade boy, give or take. Um, And as all of us know, uh, our families are deeply influential throughout all of our lives, but especially when we're younger. And you can see this based on the family patterns and rituals and systems that you develop. For me, that came crashing home uh, shortly after I got married and suddenly you have to negotiate your family systems that you grew up with and you thought were perfectly normal and natural with someone else's family systems that are different than yours and they thought, well, obviously this is the way you're supposed to do it. And that's how you get all tension around what it means to have in-laws, right? Um, What do you do where, who does what? All of those family systems things that aren't necessarily right or wrong, but they're deeply influential in shaping us and who we are. So what do we know about Jesus' family? Well, we know that they're, they are, would be righteous Jews, right? We get that uh, early on because it says that they go to Jerusalem every year, uh, as was their pattern and habit. And this was no small thing for them to do. Uh, the way that... Uh, Judaism worked at the time is there was one temple every once in a while and this is true throughout Israel's history for the most part there was one temple where God's people gathered to worship they would come and present offerings and sacrifices all the religious activity happened at one place for the entire country there weren't local churches there weren't local temples there weren't local synagogues that functioned in that kind of way there was one centralized big fancy place and that place was in Jerusalem and what that meant is that there was 
feasts and festivals and there was religious rituals and rites that you were supposed to go do. And so everyone was expected, the good righteous Jews, everyone was expected, but the righteous Jews were the ones who did it, would go and they would leave wherever they were and they would go uh, to Jerusalem in order to do that. And Jesus's family, Mary and Joseph, and however many kids they had, uh, were, were good righteous Jews because it says they do this every, every single year. Now, this is not a small feat, like I said earlier. Can we... Uh, Ken, can you put up that next, that next picture that shows? And I don't know if you can see exactly how that is, but Nazareth is circled at the top, which is where Jesus was from. He was born in Bethlehem, but he's from Nazareth, so he would have grown up there. Jerusalem is the red circle down at the bottom, and that's about a 65-mile straight walk between them. And they would go as a family, right? Jesus is 12. Jesus is the firstborn, which means that there are kids staggered every couple of years going down. And Jesus would go not just with his family. When they talk about family in the scriptures, it is not talking about a small nuclear family that you would gather around a table with. It was normally a broader interconnected group of people. So you might be related to them, you might not, but you work together towards one household, one common good, one common cause, right? The Greek word there is a word called oikos, which means house. It also means family. It also is the root word where we get economics and economy, right? Because it talks about the interplay and interconnectedness between things. So they would go with a caravan and a crew of people of a couple dozen, maybe to a couple of hundred, depending on where you lived, and they would make their way down. And it was 65 miles in a straight shot. And they would be walking along not paved roads, but roads that looked more like this, right? This is a pretty good one. They get smaller. They get more rutted. If you've ever walked on a place that lives without paved roads on a regular basis, you know that they get bumpy and they get abused. So they would walk 65 miles. Picture how far you can walk in a day. That many days carrying an infant carrying your uh, elderly relatives and they would walk sometimes with wagons but often on donkeys and they would walk by foot down to Jerusalem, right? No small task would take the whole process a couple of weeks because it was say, let's say it takes them about a week to get down. Then they get to Jerusalem and they celebrate the feast of Passover and Passover at the temple was a big deal. They did lots of things. There was services each day. There was sacrifices to be made. There was things that would go on throughout the week. So they were there often for a week. People would come and they would come and give their offerings, their financial offerings, their grain offerings and all those things during that one time throughout the year. And then it would take them a week to get back. So this is a big deal. We know that Jesus's family uh, is religious. We know they believe, you know, and that they're engaged and Jesus grew up in that kind of atmosphere in life. Furthermore, Jesus' age is actually really interesting in regards to this, to understand this Jesus more. It's important to understand his age. 12 isn't an arbitrary number. 12 is actually really important. At 13 in ancient Judaism, at 13 you became what was called a son of the covenant or a daughter of the covenant. It would be the same thing that Jews go through today when you have a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. It's when you become a full-grown adult, right? It's when you're fully engaged. So at age 12, Jesus was coming with his family, not to just participate in family things, but they would come and you kind of got a trial run when you were 11 or 12 before you became a full adult. So Jesus, who is not yet an adult, 
is getting his first real experience of functioning on his own. He gets to sit in on the meetings. He gets to be present for the rituals. He engages in ways while he's not, say, a voting member. He is around and going. And that's, that's worth noting as we understand this because, because there's a weird thing that often happens in faith, right? We as Christians believe and we say and advocate for that God in Christ was both fully divine and fully human, right? That God was, was fully di- divine and had the same essence and being as God the Father and at the same time was human, was flesh and blood like you and I, had the same struggles that you and I had, had the same issues that you and I have. But what happens is when we play that out historically over issues of faith, we often undervalue Jesus' humanity for the sake of his divinity, Right? Practically, we think of Jesus as Christ and we think of him as risen and we think of him as holy, all of which is true. But because of that, we forget that he's flesh and blood. We downplay the ways in which he is like you and I. Or we think about it in regards to temptation or issues or that Jesus was tempted and it had struggles. And at the same time, Jesus also got bored. Jesus probably was a whiny teenager. Jesus was, or not a whiny teenager, I have little kids, so I'll, Jesus was a whiny three-year-old, as is the state of my life sometimes. Jesus went through all of the things and all of the, the realities of life that make up what it means to be human. And when we look at this story of Jesus who comes to the temple, who lingers at the temple, for me, it is a reminder of Christ's humanity that comes through. And the story, this text, is really about him growing up in faith and in life. It tells us this at the, at the beginning and end of this section that Tom read, right? In verse 40, it says, And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And in verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in, the favor, and in favor with God and man. I like this story because it shows Jesus becoming. And I think it's one of our few opportunities that we have to see that. And it provokes questions for me of what does it mean to grow up? Before I was here at Fifth, I spent 18 years working as a youth worker. I worked with teenagers, middle school kids, high school kids, worked with with and alongside a lot of college students. A couple years back, uh, I was talking with a friend of mine. He was a leader in a program that I ran. Loved this guy to death. Uh, He had graduated college. Um, He had just gotten married. He had his first career, right? No longer just jobs, putting things together, but he had a career that was part of his degree. He had checked all the boxes. And so we were meeting together over coffee. And we're just talking about life and what's where and how you doing. And this is all exciting and this is great stuff. And there was just kind of this rumble inside of him. And so I started to ask, like, what's what's going on? And he said, what am I supposed to do now? He had gone through all the steps and processes that got him to this point, right? And, And in many ways, when we're younger, it feels like there's a formula and a path that you go to school and you do this and you work hard and you get grades and then you go to college or you go to a a trade and you do this and the path felt all laid out for him and then he found a girl that he was felt like he should marry so he married her and then he had a career and then suddenly he felt like he just kind of emerged into this place where the path ended 
and he didn't know where to go. The imagery that he talked about is it felt like he walked up onto this, this field of adulthood that was wide open and went, what in the world do I do now? And the question that we kept talking about is how do you know when you've arrived at what it means to be an adult? How do you know what it, when you've arrived at what it means to be mature, to be the person that you're supposed to be? And he looked at me in the way that maybe you've had this experience, maybe you haven't, but I'm about 10 to 15 years older than him. I was about 15. Um, and he looked at me with this hope of like, I will tell him what it means to be an adult and I will have the answer that will solve his problems and all of a sudden all the gears are going to click into place and he's going to feel like an adult. And I went and I told him there isn't really an answer on what it means to be an adult. Like you just, you go and explore the field that's before you. Right? There, isn't, there isn't a magical thing. There isn't some milestone or idea that suddenly this clicks and you go, oh my gosh, suddenly I'm an adult. It's walking alongside new parents when you're in the moment of freaking out and I don't know how I'm going to do this and just trying to make it through the day. And you are a parent, but you don't feel like a parent. right? Maybe some people do, but I did not. I felt like I was just trying to keep my son alive for the first couple of weeks and stay married, right? Want to stay married, not kill the baby. That was the goal. Um, I didn't feel like an adult. I mean, I felt like an adult, but I didn't feel like a parent. I didn't feel like I had this figured out. I didn't know what I was doing. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan monk. And he talks about Uh, He talks about faith. He writes about faith often. Um, And he says that our faith, this is in a book called Falling Upwards. He says our faith can be broken down into two halves of life. There is the half that we inherit that we are given as kids. There's a box is the imagery he uses that we are given that is built, that we help build, but it's often given to us. And then at some stage in a second half of life, we have to take that box and rebuild it for ourselves that we bring our questions and our doubts, that we bring our longings and our fears, and we take our faith that many of us who have grown up in the church and the faith have, have inherited, and we make it our own. And for Roar, that moment is what defines an adult, is what defines when we become. And in the midst of all of this, we often think that this is something that happens primarily when we're young, that this, this wrestling is the thing that we, I use my friend as the example for, of something that happens when you're 24 or 25. But Rohr makes the argument that the real work of faith, the real work of finding our own faith and calling is something that happens normally later in life. That it's not a split down the middle of pick your years and divide by two, but it is when we begin to wrestle with the real questions and longings that happen that we begin to engage with what our faith means and what it means to become an adult. Because the reality of the world in which we live is that it is a place that tells us every step of the way the things we're supposed to do to be successful. So it tells us where we need to go to school, what our job should be, what our pay should be. It tells us if we choose to work or not work. It tells us if we choose to stay home what our life should be like. 
It tells us what our friends should look like, what our vacation should look like, what our house should look like. It lays out all of the social markers. And in every single one, it says that happiness, contentment, life, the good life is found at the next one. A little bit further down the road. It's the question my friend was asking. When do I feel like I get to be an adult? When do I get to feel like I've arrived? And the answer that the world says again and again is always just a little bit more. How will I know that I'm happy when I have that next thing? When we go here, when we go on the family trip and vacation where for the one time we don't fight and everything magically works out, then, then we're going to be there. But that's not the way it works. Right? It's as if the world is saying that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And if our value is in chasing those pots of gold, we're bound to be disappointed because every time we get there, the goalpost moves and gets shifted further and further and further back. How do we know when we arrive? What does it mean to be an adult? What does it mean to grow up and be mature and whole in faith and life? We never arrive. It's been fascinating to watch my, my parents have just retired. Uh, and so to watch them negotiate a next phase and stage of life that's new to me because we are little families and busy in chaos. And they are retired and into this new thing and asking all of these same questions of what does it mean and what is life like and what should it be? We never arrive. There is no destination Faith is a journey that's never fully reaches its destination until, friends, until we finally die to this life. Until our death. And this is what we see actually in the scriptures all the time. Right? If we look at the heroes and pillars of faith, if we look at Abraham or Moses or Paul or Jesus, right? They all died before reaching what their what the goal would be Jesus is his own thing but but Moses and Paul like they had these big visions for what they were supposed to be and it's not as if they ever arrive Moses doesn't reach the promised land Paul gets killed in Rome this is what gets referenced elsewhere in the scriptures and in the book of Hebrews it talks about it uh, with language around issues of faith and I love the way it says this they say all these people were living by faith when they died They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. The scripture for this morning resonates with me not because uh, of what it says about the scenario of the land, not because uh, it enters into, at times, what are theological debates about did Jesus disobey his parents? Was that a sin? The scripture for me resonates because it shows me a person that is still divine, but a person who has my struggles, 
who goes on to become the savior of the world, who was born into this world to redeem and restore me, who continues to grow, who continues to engage. And that despite education or calling or a connection with God the Father, that Jesus was passionate and curious and sets an example for what that means. I went to Calvin. Uh, Good old place right down the street. We have a couple of connections there down that way. Randy's giving me a thumbs up. I'll take that. Um, And and I I was going to check with someone, but this morning got away from me. Uh, So people who go to Calvin... Uh, and at Loft on a Sunday evening, do they still end by singing the benediction song? Right? Once a month? Right? So I grew up in and around the church, but we were never super involved. And there was a lot of theological education and understanding that I didn't have going as a kid. So I used to actually email my pastor. I'm sure he didn't like me. I'm sure he found it fascinating, but I would email him things that he would say, these are too long to answer. You need to drive back to back home and then I'll talk to you in person. I'm not writing this all down. But at some stage I asked him, we would always sing a song and it says, may you grow in grace. And I always thought that was a weird phrase. I didn't know what to do with it. So I asked him at some stage, like, what what does that mean? And his definition was that grace is both a previous act and a future calling. And what I see in Jesus as he is modeled and laid out in this story is someone who is growing in grace and a reminder and a creation uh, for us to also do the same, right? As cliche as it is, and I hate that this is all I could come up with, but, but life is a journey and not a destination. And our faith life is a journey and not our destination. And if we pretend or presume that we will find contentment or happiness or joy or goodness or life somewhere further down the road, and it is not tangible to us now we are deceiving ourselves if the good news is not good news to us now then we've got something wrong and it's also a reminder for me that we're all at some stage of becoming regardless of our doubts fears and failures there is no uh, minimum threshold that you need to believe there is no basic criteria that you need to talk about in regards to things of faith and life There are things we believe and there are things we affirm. Some of those are complex and some of those are simple. And at the same time, God takes us. God takes me and God takes you with our doubts, with our issues. And not to wipe those away or somehow say that they don't matter. But God takes us as we come, accepts us into the fold and invites and encourages us to grow to be like Christ, to linger at the place where the action is and to meet him there. And I think the challenge for us, the challenge for me and the challenge for you is what does that look like for us today? How do we grow? How do we continue to become? How do we finally grow up? As I was talking with someone this morning that is older than I and said, yeah, I'm still working on that whole growing up thing. How do you grow up? When do you know? This is not something we ever arrive at. It's not something that ever gets resolved. But it's a journey to pursue the will of the Father 
as Jesus lingers at the temple to grow and find life and truth. And we'll end there. Let's pray. God, we pray that you are with us today. We pray that wherever we are in life and whatever doubts and concerns and questions and misgivings we have, we pray that you respond to those, to the things that we have been told are wrong, to the struggles we have, to the concerns we have. God, may we be people who grow in your grace. May we be people who continue to become more like you in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. God, may we be people who are agents of change in the communities we find ourselves in. May we be agents of justice. May we fight for the fights that need to be fought. And may we be gracious and merciful, knowing that we all stand before you broken and none of us stand before you worthy. And yet you accept and redeem us all with the words that you say over Jesus of this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love in them, in you, in us, you are well pleased. God, give us grace and mercy for this day and help us become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.